Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. Once again, I had a little bit of problem with our book this month. It seems like this is my month to vaguely complain about things. Um, And uh, I would say in the section that we're reading today, when I read it, I had one of those like, well, I can't just say that moments, but I'm going to, but I'm not going to right away because I think this needs a little bit of a setup. And I, I would like you to use your imagination for a few minutes and, uh, uh, or, or use your, your brain as a time traveler for those of us who've been on the planet for a while. But if you can, think back to a time or imagine a time when the world was a little bit more agrarian and most of the world's population lived in in smaller towns. Uh, and, And actually that was kind of my history. I was born here in Newport, Oregon. Think back in time to when folks really didn't use as much money as they do today. So, so for the purpose of my imagining here, let's, uh, let's imagine maybe we're uh, partway up a Mount Hood and what we do for a living a hundred years ago is we grow apples. Okay, so as you know, it's apple season. We fill up the, the, the wagon and take it into the market and oh my gosh, we have high hopes for today, don't we? Because we want to, we don't want to just eat apples all winter, as you know, as pleasant as that might seem. Uh, some potatoes, some other root vegetables, uh, some canned goods, maybe that someone has preserved. It would be nice to have a good variety of stuff to eat through the winter. Because a hundred years ago, not the supermarkets that we have today. You can't just assume you'll be able to buy a can or a jar or fresh anything. You actually had to plan ahead. So at market today, of course. I'm selling my apples uh, and or perhaps even more likely what I'm trading my apples right so I'm trading with the Johnsons down the street that have the potatoes that are also in harvest this year but I'm also trading with uh, uh, one of the the neighbors across the way who's done a lot of preserving over the summer she put away a lot of the summer vegetables in terms of uh, of canning them and those are going to be very important as well and you know what It seems like the people you're on the best relationships with seem to be giving us the best produce and the best prices. How does that happen? Well, it happens through the idea of relationships, right? Everyone in the community sort of knows everybody's business. Now, that's the good news and the bad news of living in a small agrarian society. But we know who maybe had trouble this year and their crops didn't come in. We know who had an extra big crop this year. And so we can expect to do a little extra haggling over the prices of of those potatoes because we know they have enough to pay potatoes to last till the end of time. We have some shared knowledge. We have the ability through our relationships with each other to make sure that really the entire town is covered through the winter. And, and in fact, we know that the, uh, that the Carrotsons down the way really had a struggle this year. Their wheat had blight. They lost the whole crop. But you know what? We know next year's coming. I'm going to want wheat next year. It would not be to my advantage for the Carrotsons to go bankrupt and have to leave town. 
I'm going to be pretty open and sharing with what I have. I want to see them get through the winter. I want what they're going to produce next year. And so back then the society was very much of bartering, but also of relationship built sharing, paying things forward, paying things in arrears, having the, the kind of tab, if you will, that doesn't involve money. It involves relationships. And certainly there were people in town that we may have had bad relationships with, but those also showed it up in our ability to trade with them and to make our mark in the world. And so there was always that encouragement, if you will, to be good citizens, to do the right thing, to lend a helping hand because it upraised the whole community. It allowed the whole community to be successful. Okay, enough of my story of yesteryear. Uh, now let's fast forward to the, uh, the, the 21st century here. What took the place of all those relationships? Money. Money. Okay, now you are appropriately set up for me to read this and you won't throw tomatoes and things at me. I think. We'll see. Ageless wisdom teaches us that money is both the energy of divinity and the energy of love, and that in fulfilling our needs, we must work with the energy of love. I have found that if somehow I shut down the love vibration, that feeling of complete unconditional love for everyone, that I am putting a heavy restriction on my visible supply. Remember that our natural energy is love, that therefore the yield is created out of love, and it in fact returns to us on the wings of love. Without a radiation of love, there simply cannot be the full and complete manifestation and attraction of our supply. When we have a closed heart, when we interrupt that ability and that sense of we're all in this together, we may have this idea that we can just replace it with money because that's sort of where we've gone over the last uh, hundred years. We have begun replacing some of those smaller and intimate relationships with the people who provide goods and services. We've been taught over time, and, and it isn't, this isn't a, uh, some way of looking at money as a negative thing, right? It's actually very useful, right? We can actually, uh, the year that we have way more apples than we need, we can sell them <laughs> and, and save up for a rainy day. That's a cool thing. It isn't that money is wrong, but I think we have begun training ourselves that other people don't matter so much. I think we have traded some of the high regards, some of the negotiation, some of the ability to work with people. I think we have uh, downplayed that, if you will. And I think there are those of us that think we can just go through life paying for life with the checkbook. Something's wrong, I'll write a check. Something else needs correcting, I'll put it on my Visa card, right? In older times, in different times, we would have been using relationships to sail through and even thrive in those times. Okay, so my fear is, my, my trouble with what is going on in the world right now is that many of us think we don't need anybody's help. Many of us kind of walk through life in that kind of closed-hearted position of, well, I can take care of myself. I have a job. I get my paycheck. I don't need anybody or anything. 
And you can even, I had to practice this, by the way, in the mirror, because <laughs> this isn't usually the way I walk. But can you even kind of, here, here let, let, actually, let me do it for real. Did I practice good? <laughs> yeah. Did you get the little sense of judgment too? I hope so. Because <laughs> what it is, when we've closed our heart a little bit, when we're not used to making relationships, when we think that relationships are now optional or just reserved maybe for the people in our immediate family or our closest intimate relationships, when we think that that's all that we need, a large part of our ability to love and be intimate and to be open tends to shut down over time. It honestly, it does. And when we shut down our ability to love and be loved, when we're not open, when we don't have that sense of, uh, how do I want to say it? Just gracious openness. Now see how this is different. This is like not only welcoming in a new friend, but this is the posture with which all good comes to me. Good ideas can come to me. Good friendships can come to me. A, a more intimacy in my relationships with friends and loved ones can come to me. This is the position of not only receiving, but also giving when my heart is open. Picture, picture instead how likely I am to get new things in my life when my heart's closed. You feeling the warmth? Right? Now, if this was 100 years ago, would you want to sell me apples? <laughs> right? Not so much. If this was 100 years ago, would you be excited to have me at the market? Uh, working with me and figuring out, like if I had a bad year, you'd be rushing up to, uh, to loan me some, some food through, I don't think so. And so what I'd like to suggest is that whether money is the primary instrument with which trading and, and efforts in the material world get done or not, what I would like to suggest that if you want to feel the richness of life, you need to have an open heart. You need to be able to unburden yourself and be willing to still approach life as a series of relationships. So what's your relationship to money right now? If you're like me, for a large part of my life, I would say my relationship to money was one of those love-hate relationships. Maybe one of those tempestuous relationships where it's like a roller coaster, you know? It's like, yeah, I just got that bonus at work. I can put a down payment on that new car, right? It's like, God bless you, money. Whee! <laughs> right? And then six months later, well, not so much. Let's, <laughs> let's just not talk about that. That kind of love-hate thing that you have. I'm here to tell you, it isn't that money's doing that to you. You're creating that yourself. It is our seeing money as our source. It is our understanding money to be that roller coaster that actually creates the effect. It, we think that it's what's causing our heart to open and close down. Much in the same way in the old days, we might have thought that someone who was treating us well or bad maybe would close down our heart or allow us to be different in the world. So we've given money that power. 
when too many deductions come out of the paycheck, right? Don't we just feel like there was a body slam? That money did something to us? Well, when we give that power away, of course we become the victim of money. It is indeed that true love-hate relationship. When it's on, it's on. And when it's off, it's off. And you begin thinking of life in those terms. Okay, so Jan Randolph Price says that the antidote to that whole thing is simply to love, simply to bring that energy of love back into our lives, that no matter what's going on, that no matter how we perceive the world as treating us, the more we can create that open heart, the more we can stay firm in our belief that life is relationships and the relationships of love are what I want, then our supply will become full. Then we will be able to give and receive fully without those fetters, without those constraints of that that closed, unwelcoming heart. And in the book, he gives us four ideas for how we might do that. The first idea is gratitude. And for those of you who are either in the foundations class or in fact who have ever taken a foundations class, you'll remember that in week one, the very first thing you're instructed to do is to start a gratitude journal. And it can be as simple as a sheet of paper by your bedside and a pencil. And every night before you go to sleep, you're just asked to write down five or six things that happened that day for which you are grateful. The first time I did that, though, I thought to myself, well, what happened today? There wasn't that much going on. What have I got to be grateful for? And then I thought again for a moment, and it's like, Well, what didn't happen today, right? I have my beautiful house. I I got the honor of going to work. I, I, you know, there there was little effort in writing the max. It was like my my coworkers were all nice today. And I, and I mean, even the fact that I'm lying in this really comfortable bed, right? It's like, it isn't like some peak experience that I have to wait for. It is all of life. My life is stunning when I really look at it, when I look at the sufficiency and the variety and the the joy and the friendships and even the stuff that I have. Oh my gosh, my life is full. And when I have that sense of fullness and that gratitude for it, look, we're we're back in the open-hearted position. I almost defy you to be grateful and curmudgeonly at the same time. <laughs> right? Have we all known people that are curmudgeonly? <laughs> Who are, you know, kind of tight-fisted or, or uh, difficult to work with in terms of compliments or neighbors or whatever? It's like the antidote to that, one of them absolutely is just gratitude. Because I don't think we can feel grateful for life and resistant to life at the same time. So whether you do a gratitude journal or maybe let's get old fashioned again. Let's go back a hundred years. A hundred years ago, someone would just say, oh, well, count your blessings, right? It can be as simple as once a day sitting in the quiet and just noticing how very blessed you are as a, as a heart opening and lovely spiritual practice.
The second thing that John Randolph Price says that we can do is gracious giving and receiving. And for those of you who were here two weeks ago uh, for Reverend Lynn Johnson, she talked about the law of sufficiency as it relates to giving and receiving. Now, oftentimes we think that perhaps I don't have what I need in order to give and receive, right? It's like maybe I want to give someone, I don't know, some some really gracious gift, but I don't have the money to do it. Well, the law of sufficiency says, well, that may be true, but you got your apples, right? There are things of which you have a complete sufficiency of, right? In, 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 our, uh, in our story of, uh, of the agrarian society, I may not have much, but I got a truckload of apples. And what I know about everyone in this room, you have a truckload of something. It may be love. It may be time. It may be some expertise that you have that someone can use. It may be money, There are things that each one of us have in complete sufficiency that we can share. And to not share them is back in that position, I think, of saying, I have the load of apples, and I can see that you're starving over there, but I'm just going to keep my load of apples until I have to throw them out because they're rotten. This is, like, this is like a harsh lesson, but think about it. If there are people in your community of need and you have something that they could actually use, whether it, whether it be your kind hand or, or, or a meal, or all of us have things that we could share. And when we don't share them, not only are we saying, all right, I'm willing for the whole community to suffer, the whole community to be depressed or, or not be successful, but I'm also saying, and therefore you treat me that way too. If I'm in a time of need, I'll just have to figure it out myself. The whole thing is built on the idea of relationship. And when we want to get, we have to be willing to give. When we want to participate fully in life, to enjoy life fully, to really be a participant in the, the fullness uh, of of this material existence, it is up to us absolutely to share, to both give and receive, and to the extent that we do that, the riches flow back to us. We get to see all of that multiplied coming back to us. The third thing that we can do that Jan Randolph Price talks about um, is a little bit of a tough one, and I'm going to use an example. It's forgiveness. And if you think about it in terms of, well, the open heart, it's certainly true, isn't it? That it's difficult for me to have an open heart ready to receive if I'm harboring resentments, if I'm perhaps actively hating someone or wishing that life was different in some way or thinking that someone or something has really messed with my life. And yet, I would like to suggest to you that if you maintain that position of hatred, that uh, position of distrust or malcontent around someone or something, you really can't have the open heart and the closed heart at the same time. And so when you are closed to those SOBs in Washington who have messed everything up, (laughs) 
when you are closed to that boss that is treating you poorly, when you are closed up, unfortunately, it's like you've locked the heart up and taken the keys away. It is more difficult for you to experience love. It's more difficult for you to experience abundance. New ideas and things that would benefit you tend to just fly over your head because you're not in that position and that state of mind to receive. Instead, you're locked up. And I, and I understand it, right? Things, as they say, do happen. And sometimes people aren't as kind and rich and lovely as you would like them to be. And so we go to that place of resentment, I think in a natural way, because it keeps me safe. If someone does something wrong to me, I don't want to have it happen again. And so I, of course hopefully momentarily get the the closeness in me, right? I don't want you messing with me again. I don't want that harm coming to me again. I need to do what's necessary in the world so that I'm safe. And then when I have done that, when I have taken care of the business that will make me safe, then I unburden my heart again. But is that really the way it works for most people? See, there's the problem. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day that I've known for a long time, and I was asking about his kids, and he has a, a daughter that's just now getting, well, this last year getting out of uh, high school and, and going to be off to college. And I said, well, how's uh, Mish doing? And he said, uh, well, she's not going to the University of Oregon to begin with. And I went, oh, I thought that was the plan. And even before he started speaking again, he started turning purplish. And I thought, that's not really his color. Uh, <laughs> uh, what's going on with that? And he proceeded to describe to me how the coach of her basketball team had ruined his daughter's life, that she had been set up to get a, a scholarship to University of Oregon, and for whatever reason, and I, you know, we won't go into details, he thought clearly that the coach was in the wrong to do this. She got benched for a lot of her last season, and so when the scholarships got awarded, she didn't have one. And so my friend, very much in that position of... This guy ruined my daughter's life and had some very, um, uh, shall we say, uh, <laughs> choice words and ideas of what that person was like and should do with themselves and so on. And, and I, after a while, I, after a while, you know, his head luckily didn't explode. But <laughs> and after the purpleness went away a little bit, I said, well, how's Mish doing? And he said, oh, she's fine. She's at the community college. And I said, oh, was that a big disappointment to her? And he said, you know, I thought it would be. But she said to us the other day at 18, she's kind of glad she's still living at home and just going to the community college instead of having to pack up and move, you know, down to Eugene. He said, she's doing great. She's loving her school and so on. And so what I realized was, who was suffering through this whole process? <laughs> It wasn't the daughter, and believe me, it wasn't the coach, right? Whether the coach did the wrong thing or the coach did the right thing, he's off and doing whatever he's doing. There was only one person suffering in this situation, and it was my friend. He's nursing this wound that wasn't even his wound. He's nursing this in a way that is going to have a negative effect on his relationship to his daughter. He even said, well, I really had plans for her down at University of Oregon. 
how's this going to go for poor Mish, right? Expectations. So whatever you can do, whatever you can do to forgive, even if it's painful, even if it seems out of line, even if it seems like the other person doesn't deserve forgiveness, I would like to suggest that you deserve the forgiveness to be given. You deserve to go on with your life with an unfettered heart, with moving forward in grace and a chance at more love and more intimacy in your own life. Because when you are harboring resentments and that level of hatred, no matter how you look around it, it's still right there. It's still affecting your ability to love and be free. Now, how do you know when you're done forgiving someone? I found a joke. <laughs> Who knew? All right. So early in their marriage, a young man did something really, really stupid. And after some soul searching, his wife chewed him out for it. He made a sincere apology and they made up. However, from time to time, as the years went by, the wife sometimes jokingly, sometimes not so jokingly, would mention again what he had done. Honey, said the young man one day, why do you keep bringing that up? I thought we were all done with that. I thought our policy was to forgive and forget. Well, you're right, said his wife. I, get, I guess I just don't want you to forget that I've forgiven and forgotten. <laughs> That's how you know you're not done yet. <laughs> if you look back at that event that happened or when you think about that person that did something to you or your family, when you think about the people in Washington and it puts a slow burn in your heart, you still have forgiveness to do. The work isn't done. You may have thought you did. You may have peeled off a layer of the resentment onion, so to speak, and, 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 and pulled one layer off. But when things and people still have your heart entangled in a negative way, we're not done. And when we're not done with that, we are literally preventing ourselves from experiencing the love and the wealth the joy and the peace that we all deserve. If you need help with this, it's what practitioners are for, it's what counselors are for, but we owe it to ourselves to have our heart freed. There's one more thing, my favorite thing, that uh, John Randolph Price says we can do to have our open heart. This is totally the most awesome thing in the world. Uh, so I'm going to give it to you as a bit of an assignment. These are things that will open your heart, and I would hope that everyone this week would do one or more of them. Hold a baby. Play with a puppy or a kitten. Schedule a game night with your friends. Actively approach greater intimacy with a friend or a loved one, a partner or a spouse. Go outdoors and walk in some place of outrageous beauty. Do something that's silly with someone half your age. <laughs> Do you see where I'm headed this, with this? 
You know yourself best. You know what brings you joy. You know what makes you feel lighthearted. You know what unthaws that open heart. We're back to a hundred years ago, and I'm inviting everyone to seek out those relationships again, right? Maybe it's time to start being friendly with the checkers in the grocery store, just like you would have been friendly a hundred years ago with the person that had the dry onions to sell, because you knew they were part of your community and you wanted to be on good terms with them. Maybe it's time that when you go to the bank, you actually say hi to the teller and ask how they're doing. Maybe it's time that when the folks who, who come and collect your yard debris are there, you actually are outside with a, uh, with a cup of coffee and a paper cup on the cold day and say, do you know how much I actually appreciate you every week coming and hauling away my yard debris and my recycling? <laughs> I can't imagine getting up that early in the morning to have this kind of job this time of year. Bless you for that. Maybe it's time to not only open our hearts up, but really open into relationship again with the people and the places, the situations and the opportunities that we have right in our own community. Because I think beyond that opening your heart, it's the invitation, right? for them to open their hearts too. And we all simply benefit from it. I have one more reading in this lovely book and then we'll close with a prayer. Here's how Randolph uh, Price closes out this idea of money as the energy of both love and divinity. He says, I invite you to love life and every physical manifestation of life. And as you do, begin to express gratitude for the good that is yours right now, for the beauty of nature, for friends and loved ones, for relationships of all sorts, for the infinite blessings of God, for the solution to all problems and the fulfillment of every need. Just feel the joy that is rising up in you as it opens your heart. That's, that's the vibration that will keep you in tune with all the channels that God has created for you to receive your good. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence, one life, one infinity of good out there. It represents all the love, all the joy, all the peace, all the happiness. It's, it's all you could ever want because it's all that ever is. And there I am right in the middle of it. And as it is true for me, it's true for each person here, each of us, right sitting in the middle of God's infinite good. And as we open our hearts, it's visible, it's obtainable, it comes to us willingly with a smile on its face. As we, as we meet the people in our lives and build the relationships of, of love and trust, our hearts are flung open to give and receive so very, very richly. This is life in all of its joy. This is life and all of its abundance and an infinity of all good with us in that position of love and receipt. And I am simply grateful for this, grateful for God showing up every day on this planet with the people that I meet and the expressions of, uh, of light that I see with the joy of, of simply loving and living. And so in gratitude, I release this prayer. I release it into the activity and action of the law itself. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. 
Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you're here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.